Hello, everyone. This is Tommy at World at War Comics, and today we have another special guest. Today, we're speaking with Pete Sametti. He is the founder and owner of Alterna Comics. Um, they are in their 17th year producing comic books, a lot of amazing comics that uh, I'm sure you've heard of. Um, he also is the author and creator of the newest comic book called King Cryptid. Um, if you haven't purchased that yet, go to alternacomics.com, uh, and you could check it out there. Um, also, about three times a year, they have on Indiegogo and on their website, you could purchase the next issues of uh, some of their current comic books that are in um, publication. So check them out, Indiegogo, just look up Alterna Comics and you'll find it, or go to alternacomics.com. All right, without further ado, here's our conversation that we did live with Pete um, the other night, and uh, we are posting it on all of our different platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and obviously it is on YouTube. Um, so I hope you enjoy. Please make sure that you subscribe and make sure you hit that follow button, okay? All right, everyone, here's Pete. All right, everyone. Peter, thanks for joining World at War Comics. It's great to have you, man. Big fan of Alterna and can't wait to, to dig in and learn a little bit more about your history. Awesome, man. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. And, and thank you for making your first live show with me. I yeah, that was definitely first. So if I screw this up, this is not Peter's fault. This is my fault. Um, but so far, it looks like everything's going good, man. He could blame me. We'll just say that uh, Tommy was really intimidated by having <laughs> me on. Yeah, yeah. No, I was I was freaking out, man. I was YouTubing how to, to do all this. And I was on another show, and they do live. So I reached out to that creator, and, and he gave me some pointers. So, oh, um, awesome. Yeah, he was really cool about it, Cody, um, at uh, Keeping It Geekly. So... Um, good guy. Let me uh, let me know some of the the know how. And here we are, man. So so Pete, man, I, I thought maybe we'd just start at the beginning. You know, I, I know uh, probably a lot of people that are listening in right now have been following Alterna for a long time and I'm fairly new. It's been a little over a year, um, but man, I got hooked almost immediately. And uh, it was actually Can't Kill Cade was the first one that I got. And then I went on the website and you had this deal where I can't remember if it was like 25 bucks or something. And you got a whole bunch of issue number ones uh, from mm. all different creators. And uh, so that was my, my first entrance into the Alterna universe. And I'm like, holy crap. One, the price point's insane. Um, we could talk about how you do that. And then two, um, the content, the writing, the art, everything about it. I love that old school feel. I'm sure that has something to do with the cost. But I love it, man. It gives you good memories of, you know, I'm 48 years old. So buying comics in the early 90s, man. It gives me that feel, and I love it, man. A little nostalgia, and uh, the content's amazing. Yeah, it's it's funny that you say uh, nostalgia because there's people who, like yourself, have been reading comics for a long time. And for the longest time, comics were on newsprint, yeah. and that's exactly what we use. Mm -hmm. um, but now there's also people that we're getting that are just getting into comics for the first time, and so this is new to them. Yeah. So this is new, and and they're like, wow, what is this paper stock that only you guys seem to be using? It adds something to the comic, you know. And yeah. um, so it's it's funny that that both kinds of groups of people get something out of it. Yeah. Uh, it's just to me, the newsprint adds something, and we didn't always put out single issues on newsprint for the longest time. We've been around for seventeen years. This is our seventeenth year. Next year we're legal. Um, so we started off with print on demand, very small. Yeah. Um, it was, it, I didn't, and I've said this interview a million times in terms of the origin of Alterna. So if, if there's, I start to feel like the Joker from Dark Knight where maybe I should just mix <laughs> it up and, um, it's okay. 
one of these days, you know, like 20, 30, 40 years from now, I'm just going to start making things up just to see if anybody calls me on it. Uh, but uh, so we did start it off in a way where I should say I started off with more or less just wanting to get my own books out there. Yeah. I was like 20 or 21. I forget at this point. Mm -hmm. whatever 17 years from now was uh, i was i'm 38 now so yeah uh 21 and um just making my own book making really really bad stuff <laughs> it's my first stuff uh, you know awesome, right? yeah you know i'm just starting out with it i've always been drawing always been writing and reading and everything else but at a professional level where anyone should pay for it was yeah. uh debatable at that point in my life especially uh but i figure you know you, you got to make something you know, if you're never going to make it anything, how are you going to know? Um, so I learned a lot from those first, like, maybe year or so of just making my own stuff. And I learned as much as I could about comics in general. Did a lot of free work, which which uh, some people frown upon. But I say don't, don't do it for... Uh, for exposure or anything like that first of all you'd never want exposure for your early stuff really right it's, yeah. it's not really that great uh work for free for experience yeah. um and then you build up your portfolio and your skill set and then you can start actually demanding money yeah. you know um, because you have the skills to back it up and the experience but uh so I, I did that for a little bit and i started getting submissions coming in and i felt like all right you know i guess I guess what could it hurt to take on a book or two or three? I let people know I'm, I'm very new to this. So this is just going to kind of be like us working together to try and get uh, uh, our comics out there. No distribution, anything like that yet. Uh, by 2008, we did have distribution. We had distribution at Diamond and, and a book publisher, uh, a book distributor at that point for the book market. Mm -hmm. And for only like, I'd say 10 or 11 years, um, we just put out primarily graphic novels single issues we started doing that uh, in 2017 uh, oh, wow. yeah yeah the first single issue that we put out uh, well i shouldn't say the first but the first newsprint single issue that we had put out when i kind of wanted to revamp the lineup because the market was getting so flooded with graphic novels yeah. um was may 2017 okay. and it's never been the same since uh Graphic novels are great. I still love them for the long form storytelling aspect of it, but mm -hmm. there's nothing like single issues. Yeah. Especially, yeah, the, 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 I love telling stories in single issue format. It's a whole different ball game. Um, when I did a graphic novel and someone would read it, they read the whole thing and then they let you know about it. Yeah. Um, but single issues, they're guessing, they're yeah. engaged. Yeah. They're, you know, wondering about certain plot points and characters. It's sure. a whole different thing. It's like it's yeah. like watching a sports game, you know, yeah. and you're and you're going from period to period, quarter to quarter, whatever it may be, inning to inning, and yeah. you don't know how things are going to unfold until it ends. Right. Um, you know, so it, there's an exciting uh, you know, audience engagement factor to it. And as a creator, I love that. Yeah. Uh, I love seeing what the, the theories are for some of the events and, you know, seeing what their favorite characters are from the readers. And then you can kind of plan future issues accordingly, too. Um, yeah. I love even kind of throwing readers off the scent of certain things and say, oh, no, no, you know, we're not really doing anything else with that character. You know, it's good that you like it. And then bring them back. And they're like, I thought you weren't doing anything. Um, it's, it's so much fun. Um, I think so, you want that, too, right? You yeah. And to on to that next issue. I would think so, you know, um, but yeah, we've been doing that since 2017 and, and it's just, we haven't looked back. It's just been newsprint single issues the whole way. Yeah. What was your first print single issue? Uh, Remember? First one ever? 
Yeah, in 2017 when you went from oh in 2017. Um, so we we came out on uh, the scene in May 2017 with Adam Wreck number one, Croak number one, Amazing Age number one, and Lilith Dark number one. We were really coming in hot and heavy for the Free Comic Book Day crowd. Gotcha. Croak was a mature title, and the rest of them were all ages titles. Okay. And uh, they're they're all they've been done for a while because they were, yeah. a lot of them were mini series. Uh, yeah. We left distribution in 2020, and then that gave me a chance to focus the line more on ongoing series. Because it's, it's a lot harder in distribution as an independent publisher, especially to focus on ongoing, uh, yeah. because they look at the sales and they always precipitously fall from issue to issue. Yeah. Uh, if you have like Blood Realm, for instance, was mm -hmm. was a pretty popular series. Yeah, um, yeah. and it was. Yeah, it was a three-issue, each-volume kind of series. Mm -hmm. And we I always hated the fact that we had to do it, but we had to do it this way to kind of keep the numbers up. And yeah. Rob had a longer story to tell. Some of these guys didn't. It was like a four- or five-issue thing. That was it. Mm -hmm. um, but we would go back to number one, and then you get a sales boost, and it falls again, and then you go back to number one. And, you know, so each volume had a new number one. Um, eventually, we went back to print on all of them, and then we kind of kept the numbering correct. I think seven and eight, which would technically be volume uh, three, number one and two, have mm -hmm. not gone back to print just yet. But when they do go back to print, they'll get renumbered as well and have that sequential numbering. I always loved the sequential numbering as a comic book reader. You know, I love the fact that you could see a milestone issue at issue 50 or 100. Sure. Um, there's aspects of the comic industry where I think they've grown to lament the higher numbering yeah. but i always was excited by that you know if you pick up like issue 1000 let's yeah. say that means there's 999 others you know if you like this thousandth issue go hunt down yeah. the rest well you know they don't hate it too bad because i just picked up fantastic four uh seven or 700 so i mean they, they still want to highlight that milestone right so uh, they, they say they hate it, but they certainly want to highlight it when they reach those milestones. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you know, and but yeah, it's, so it's it's strange when and and I won't talk too much about the other aspects of the comic industry outside of us. But yeah, no, uh, no, for, yeah. for me, it was strange when when we had to do that, but we had to do that in the distribution system. Now there's no King Cryptid. When I go to, you know, issue 40, 50, there's no rebooting. There's no retconning. We're, we're, we're full steam ahead. Nice, nice. Do you have a so your preference is ongoing as an owner of a comic book company? My across the board, my preference is ongoing. Um, but yes, yeah, so before I was trying to more or less keep that, mm -hmm. um, I guess to myself and to my own stories and, and be more open to miniseries. But uh, in terms of the practicality of publishing, I also find that it makes more sense at this point because mm -hmm. there are certain books that we've published over the years that were miniseries, yeah. and sometimes they go too far in between without you know from issue one to two or two mm -hmm. to three or you know so sometimes a creator because uh, uh, alternates 100 percent creator owned so the creators own all their rights they pay their creative teams etc and then they get paid through royalties and sales gotcha. um so if a royalty uh, i mean if a creator um maybe isn't getting uh enough uh, uh work through or the creative team is having troubles or there's a delay or whatever it may be let's say issue one comes out and then two comes out a couple months later but then three <laughs> is going to take a year yeah. at that point in time that that's a really big time between issues you know um you lose so the if future, right yeah it'd almost be equivalent to you're watching a movie you stop it you come back to it a week later, and then you come back to it five months later. 
yeah. you're not really going to remember too much about the first and then you might not even want to at that point right <laughs> do i really like, want to read the two issues i already read six months ago right yeah yeah so we had a couple instances like that yeah, and then yeah. there were a couple others where creators just they, they just stopped a couple of them just were like i can't do this anymore you know comics are tough um and they are uh but if it was an ongoing series where everything was episodic and treated like you know each issue is self-contained for the most part but had an overarching plot uh, yeah. but you felt you got a story out of each issue it's mm -hmm. different than if an if a series gets canceled at issue three or four or five or whatever it may be you're never losing out on what that story was where meanwhile you're going to look at that those gaps or whatever may have been for forever going yeah. number one why did i buy this and then number two what the hell happened yeah. <laughs> you know so i didn't want readers to feel that way anymore i certainly didn't like feeling that way and i wouldn't like feeling that way either either as a reader mm -hmm. so now moving forward it's ongoing series and, and we're really focusing on the titles we have right now which is blood realm uh, mm -hmm. wolf and batsy unit 44 red koi uh, it came out on a wednesday is a great anthology horror sci-fi fantasy series that's on issue 20 at this point and um and king cryptid of course yeah yeah and then tinseltown oh too. horace h hoover as well sorry about that oh yeah yeah and then what about tinseltown is that tinsel tinseltown is um it's kind of it's still here but it's like in hiatus between many series gotcha. and the only reason that i'm gonna let dave continue with that is because he's always been so good about it He's yeah. not someone I really have to worry about. Mm -hmm. uh, he's had two previous other miniseries at Alterna. So mm -hmm. if he does want to have a third here, um, he's more than welcome to bring yeah, it back. Yeah. He's a great guy. He's been on the show, and I really enjoyed him, too. And he just had a successful indie, too. Indiegogo. Yeah, yeah. He just had his uh, his Kickstarter uh, oh, his Kickstarter. for Tinseltown. Yeah, he went out to Kickstarter. I think he's going to eventually do an Indiegogo as well for it. But um, his Kickstarter, and, and this is another interesting aspect at, at Alterna that's different mm -hmm. from other publishers too. We are 100% creator-owned, so much so that if Alterna doesn't publish a certain type of book mm -hmm. in a format, the creators yeah. are encouraged to do so if they want. So yeah. we don't publish graphic novels anymore, which is ironic because that's all we publish really yeah, for 10 to 11 right? years. Yeah. yeah. Um, now we just do the single issues and then alternate giants sometime if it's a larger amount that we could put together that's under 100 pages or so. Gotcha. Um, and all, it's under 100 pages because quite honestly, physically, that's all they could really do. That's the staple can't go through gotcha. <laughs> more than that. Um, Dave's book is longer than 100 pages. So I said, Dave, you know, it makes more sense if you just kind of put out a premium graphic novel version yourself we did the first volume but now yeah. things have changed since then so i encouraged him to do that kickstarter and yeah. he went for it and and he's gonna put it out yeah there's the yeah, first yeah, that's one. one i think you yeah right here alternate yeah yep. so yeah I, I did talk to him he said the second one he was doing on his own but alternate did do the first one yeah um, so that's awesome man and I'm helping him. I'm putting the, the book together for him and everything. So I'm, I'm working for him now in terms of that aspect. Nice. Um, but uh, I'm happy to do that with the creators. And, and the same thing goes for everybody else. I know one day when, when Rob Geronimo has the whatever 50 issues or something he wants to tell, if he ever wants to put an omnibus or several omnibuses together, that would be a thing that he can do and an endeavor that he can pursue and, and keep whatever he were to make from that. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, something that separates Alterna from a lot of other publishers as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I read somewhere that uh, you no longer distribute through Diamond, correct? Yeah, that's correct. We, we left it's all of our distributors in Or was that an easy transition for you? It, it was a relatively easy transition, and Diamond kind of made it that way. And the oh, reason okay. I say that mm -hmm. is because um, 
not like they helped us out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they put us into a position that I would have rather not been in. Yeah. And what I mean by that is in 2017, well, we had been with Diamond since 2008. Mm -hmm. So um, we were with them for 12 years. And in 2017, we were doing those newsprint issues. Now, what I was finding was that a lot of the time um, when Diamond places an order, they order generally 10% more than whatever the order comes in for. Okay. Usually for any kind of damages, any kind of book that sells out right away, they can send stuff out to the retailer. I was finding a lot of our books because of their price point. Naturally, we're selling through completely on the first day and we would have hundreds of reorders immediately. Mm -hmm. So sometimes books would have three to four hundred reorders immediately. And I'm seeing them in the system and I'm thinking, oh, great, wonderful. You know, they, they sold out and we have a bunch here that I've overprinted and we can ship them out, you know, ASAP. Yeah. You know, but the thing is, you can't do that. You, you, you have to wait till they send you an invoice oh. if you ship them. And you see them pile up and let's say, I go, okay, I'm going to be, you know, really uh, good about it. Do my due diligence and send them 300 copies. I see that they need it, right? Yeah. Uh, they go, oh, you know what? We're throwing those out. We're fining you $150. What? <laughs> it happened to us once. Oh, and I never did it. I said, fine, I'm waiting from now on, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I see the orders there. When are you going to send us the, because they auto cancel after a month. So I would see these orders pile up and we would release five, uh, four to six issues sometime. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that would happen across the board. We have like a thousand reorders sitting there. I'm thinking, when are they going to send us the purchase order? You know, it's the third week now. They're going to auto cancel soon. And the retailers have been waiting for three weeks, yeah. which means that chances are a lot of the readers might have also been waiting or stopped waiting and maybe went even to eBay yeah. and bought a dollar fifty book at the time and yeah. bought it on eBay for like five or six. Mm -hmm. Great for the eBay seller, not so much for me or the retailer. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so I would contact the brand managers that we had and a lot of the time i was able to force them to send us a purchase order but mm. as things went worse and worse over the course of 2018 or so we would get these reorders i couldn't i couldn't do anything to to force them to send us a reorder oh, wow. so it, when it's as soon as it started happening and, and we experienced that i said let's just start selling direct um we opened up an etsy store at the time and we mm. were selling through etsy mm. uh, eventually the etsy store was so successful i figured let's just pocket whatever Etsy's taking from us and open up my own store and on directly on the site and we'll sell through theirs. And that's what we did. Mm -hmm. By the time 2020 rolled around, our sales that were coming in, we were making more money on the site than we were through Diamond. Oh, wow. That, yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. So if, it, if Diamond had did their job 100%, we never would have opened our own store. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I would have just still been shipping through with them. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have felt really the need. Yeah. Hmm. Probably a blessing in disguise for all. Yeah, time. yeah. So it was a blessing in disguise. So in some ways, I do thank them for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why when it happened and we left, uh, when the response to the pandemic had occurred and they were shutting down and they weren't going to pay people for six to nine months and that kind of a thing, I said, we're already in a position where we sell direct anyway. Yeah, Let's yeah. just start having pre-order crowdfunders and treat that as if we're soliciting through diamond yeah. and then this way we can still do that we can sell direct and then who knows maybe it'll either still be the same or be better yeah um so that's why it was easy for us to kind of transition right out of that because we had already been selling direct for about two or three years at that point oh, okay oh, so no losses or anything like that you were just easy transition and it seems yeah like, when i order the shipping is extremely fast so yeah, yeah, it's very easy transition. And 
Um, it's a shame because at first we did manage to retain about 50 to 60 of the retailers that we had books through. Because that's the other thing too. You go through distribution, you're you're getting access to all the comic shops, but all the comic shops don't order from you. I'd say roughly 20 to 25% of the shops are actually placing orders. Um, so it, it even though we were probably selling through to about 300 stores tops at one point, mm -hmm. um, we retained like 50 or 60, but then slowly they kind of just dropped off. Um, which was unfortunate because I, I'd, I'd like to get the books into the stores, but at the same time, you can't force a retailer to order from you. And all that happens in the long run, too, is that the, the customers that would have went to the store, they ended up just ordering through us direct um, or they order through the, the crowd funders and things like that. Um, but this way, literally that we're doing it, this way has enabled me to make my own series finally again, uh, because the diamond system, you got to be in there every month. You got to put a lot of product out. Um, you got to keep up with it. So it takes up a lot of time and you're always, you know, either on the phone or emailing retailers constantly every single month. So that takes up a lot of time as well. Um, and you never really know if any of it's going to translate. It, it's a very cold process and it could kind of feel demoralizing at times. Um, but meanwhile, with the reader, when you're talking, you know, you do a YouTube stream or send out a newsletter or you're on social media interacting with the readers or talking about your stuff or whatever it may be, uh, it's it's way it's 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 a it's a way more celebratory kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, when you have a crowdfunder and you get to see it and celebrate with everybody that made it possible and then get the books out there, uh, you know, you send the books to Diamond. It's great. You know, it goes in the comic store. But it, unless the reader then seeks you out and gets in touch with you, there's never really that connection of are these books going to someone? <laughs> Is yeah. anyone reading these? You know, they go to a store, but mm -hmm. I've been in stores, you know, uh, I, I, I'm always in the back issue bin area. I find issues all the time that have been around for 30 to 40 years. You know, <laughs> yeah. is are my books going to be like these books? There's always that thought, you know, and uh, I'd rather them be in someone's hands getting read. And uh, I love be, being able to sell direct like that and knowing that that happens. I mean, I think there, like you said, there's something to being the first person to speak to your consumer and then the last person to touch the product that reaches your consumer, right? When you have Diamond or not just Diamond, anybody in between, right? You don't have that connection with the consumer where you're actually, I mean, like I assume my King Cryptid came directly from you, right? Yeah, you yeah. You sent yep. it to me, right? Yeah, so packed with love. <laughs> I can see your bloody fingers from all the tape and the boxes. and But yeah, I mean, you, you were there, right? And so I think there's a little bit of satisfaction in any business knowing that you you were the last person to touch your consumer. I think that's there's a lot to say, be said about that. Yeah, and, and it's nice too because there's even like a quality control aspect to it. So if there's a mistake in the order, if for some reason or another uh, there's a damage that is incurred, mm -hmm. I'm able to respond to that. I'm able to kind of coordinate with the reader about that and also use different maybe pack it differently, send it differently, whatever it is, I can learn what I have to do better the next time around to minimize that thing from happening. Mm -hmm. um, when you ship stuff out, that was another problem too. If you sh ship stuff out to the distributor, sometime maybe there's a print run that happens that really didn't go that great and it got damaged or they printed something wrong or whatever now all those books went to distribution and then i find about it i find out about it days later when our books come in and i go oh my lord this yeah. is horrible and that honestly that happened on the first shipment ever 
um yeah those first four issues and they're probably like collector's items or something at this point Uh, but i uh, it was like a heartbreaking experience because it was all this excitement it was we're putting this out and it's one of those mistakes that only i would really know but i think i think readers some of them would probably go these look a little off Mm. and what happened was and we only used this printer the one time uh, because that's how bad it went they had sent us the proofs the proofs were great and then the product i get it back and i and i adjusted it because uh, i'm a graphic designer uh, by by trade and and and, and degree mm-hmm. and i go these covers are completely off they look like the cyan levels are up 20 to 25 percent and oh, I, wow. I yeah it so yellows looked greenish um mm-hmm. you know greens looked dark you know, a lot of things were just off. It looked like there was too much cyan. And I was telling them and showing them, I'm like, these do not match the proof she yeah. sent us. And they're trying to tell me this and that and the other thing. And I'm like, no, 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 they don't match at all. And they're like, oh, well, that can kind of happen with newsprint. I go, these are the covers. These are not <laughs> the newsprint actually printed fine. The yeah, covers, yeah. which are on glossy stock, printed horribly. Um, and then I showed them, I said, this is what happens when I adjust the cover file with the cyan level and bump it up. It looks exactly like what I'm seeing here and it shouldn't have happened over there. I was like, someone over there adjusted the file or something happened during printing. And so, and those were the first four to go to shops. It was just like a gut punch. Yeah. Yeah. But, but if anybody has those that are out there, that are, they're like the very, very first printings of Alterna. Um, they're probably somewhat (laughs) valuable at this point we went back to print i think on those like three other times because for for newsstand at the time we had newsstand distribution for a little while too and the newsstand editions printed great we used a different printer and and sent them the same files and they printed great what a what a miracle um (laughs) almost as if it wasn't our fault but it was the printer's (laughs) fault uh, but yeah, it's, it's, there's always something, there's always something, whether it's, it's some craziness in comics or some craziness in printing or some craziness here or there, there's always some kind of fire to put out. Yeah. <laughs> always, man. It's never smooth. Right. And never. you gotta be like hawk, right. Constantly looking at everything because I think it's normal that some mistakes do happen and man, the minute you take your eye off the ball, right. That's usually when it happens. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and in that scenario, we couldn't even say you know destroy them or anything like that um and if we did we would have had to eat the the loss on it um but it's stuff like that that if that were to happen and it goes to me then none of that goes out to the readers um and i'm able to coordinate with the printer and hopefully get them to do a reprint and then send the good stuff out to the readers and the same thing goes if we have some damages sometime there's always there's always a couple damages in every box top and bottom but at distribution they ship all that out so they'll ship out the damaged copies within every box they don't care if it's all crumpled and what they're just sending that out you know (laughs) it gets to the retailer and they're like what the heck is this you know i'm I'm the unlucky yeah and then they think exactly you know all that it's just it's madness um but all that madness we don't have to deal with it if anything we actually sell the damaged copies now at a discount so people can go to the site and get these damages and sometimes they wonder what's even damaged about them um but i'm like trust me if you're someone who's looking for a a mint copy you're gonna you understand the damage i'm talking about that's on right, the copies right. however minimal since when i'm when i'm going to purchase one it does say like mint near mint 
I'm like, I'm wondering why that's an, even an offer. Now I get it. Now I'm yeah, just... yeah. We do reader copy, which is the book's yeah. intact. You know, it's great, it, but it's got a couple of, of creases and it looks pretty beat up. And yeah, but uh, those are great with our all ages books, especially if you've got kids, you, yeah. you know, they're going to beat the crap out of them as soon as they get them anyway. You know, yeah. like when I was a kid, you, you, your comics are, you know, oh, yeah. you, you throw them like crazy. Exactly. You know, I've got comics of Spider-Man where Spider-Man's eyes are colored in, you know, yeah. just for some reason I thought blue, blue pen, you know, right yeah, on yeah. all the eyes. That made sense. Yeah, yeah. Now, as far as uh, you yourself as a writer, creator, artist, because you're all three, right? I think on the chair, which was one of your first, if I'm not mistaken, you did the art as well, right? No, no. Another artist had done that. And oh, sorry, um, you did too. Yeah. yeah, I did. I did everything on that. But with, with the art, I had wanted the artist to do a, a loose, sketchy pencil thing. And, yeah, and the reason great. I'm going to refrain, I would I would normally always give credit by name to the artist. But the artist over the years has decided that I should not give him credit ever. He doesn't want to be associated with it and whatever else. Yeah. People are weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm not trying to rob him of his credit. I would love to say his name, but uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he did the art on that and, and I wanted like this loose sketchy pencil style and I was going to kind of add um, digital inks over it that mimicked like a charcoal effect. So this was back in the day, like 2006, 2007, and I'm doing it with like a mouse and stuff and coloring <laughs> it all with a mouse. Uh, but yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah I kind of put out like a remastered, uh, yeah. re-edited re, uh, and re-lettered version with those single issues. That was in so 2017. this must be one of those, right? Because this came in that pack of number ones that I got. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's different in some ways from the very first time it was ever printed and then a couple of the graphic novel editions as well. But that's the last edition and that's kind of like, um, I guess, a creator cut, you could yeah. say. Okay. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that that those came out as a first as a four issue mini, which again is funny because that book really just primarily came out as a graphic novel. Mm. And again, people were reading that the whole thing and then they would let me know what they thought. Yeah. Uh, but when that came out in single issue format, roughly 10 years later, and people yeah. thought it was a brand new book, too, um, <laughs> they would be sending me emails and messages and guessing about the plot and what's happening. And, and I was like, wow, this is a very different experience than when it first came out, you know. So yeah. it was great. You had quite a bit of success from what I read on the internet concerning the chair, right? Yeah, yeah. So it got turned into a film. It got adapted into film with uh, yeah. Roddy Piper. Which is uh, crazy, man. I yeah. read that. Oh, man, I got to go. I got to find it now and watch it. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe it's a couple different places. The last time I checked, it was on Tubi. Okay. Uh, we also sell it as a DVD Blu-ray combo on the site. Nice. But um, it was it was a lot of fun casting the film, mm. and uh, there was a couple people that were going to be in Roddy's uh, position. At one point in time, we had Eric Roberts, and he was going to be in it. But Eric Roberts works on everything, and he just yeah. signs because what is you got to get uh, letters of intent. So you have these LOIs, and and the actor agrees that they like the script, and they agree to be in the film. So you can tentatively announce them in it. Um, but it's not a contract or anything like that. So what happens is between uh, that point to the projected production date, uh, 
if something were to happen and they get something that is guaranteed work in a contract or whatever, they could sign out of it and then we part ways. So that kind of happened with Eric Roberts, where he essentially he signs on to so many projects um, that he was busy at that point. So we had to scramble and get somebody else. And it was really funny because I've loved Roddy for forever. Uh, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Loved him in They Live. And They Live was on one day and, and me and my wife were basically watching it and going, why don't we see if Roddy Piper could do it? He'd, he'd do a good job as that yeah. part. And I was like, yeah, why not? I mean, I've contacted everybody that you could think of. For the for the main, the lead roles of the Warden and Sullivan, mm -hmm. I had contacted Willem Dafoe. I contacted Viggo Mortensen. Oh, wow. I talked to a whole bunch of different people, Sean Bean, uh, you know, so it's, it's talked to a whole list of, and got rejected by all. Some were very nice about it. Yeah. Um, a, a couple of different character actors for certain roles. Doug Jones was, was awesome. He was great. Sent me back this full email and, and saying how heartbroken he was that he couldn't be a part of it but he was doing this other filming but he read the script and really liked it and um so many great people out there that had took some time to respond uh but uh when we got roddy it was very surreal <laughs> because i was I like so. <laughs> that's interesting i'm like all right you know but but i figured what's the worst that could happen they say no or they don't respond exactly you know yeah so he had loved the script. I talked to him several times on the phone and um, what would always turn into him. He was and, and as great as some of the actors were in the film, mm -hmm. he was the only one who would call me up with ideas about the character. Nice. And he would always call me up and, and, and preface it with the fact that because he wanted to do right by me. He's like, this is your character. I want to do right by you. I want to make sure that I shoot this past you first. Um, you know, he had ideas about like the character having a toothpick all the time and his char his character's hair, like slicking it back and all this other kind of stuff. And, and then uh, different ideas for, you know, when he's in, um, if you watch the film, it's kind of, you see two versions of reality in the film. Um, and then the second half of the film, how his character would kind of look and, and how he would, how his attitude would shift a bit. Mm -hmm. And, but we would always have these talks and you call up about that, but then we'd be on the phone for an hour and he would just be talking about life. And he'd be asking me about my family and my life and, and creating, and he'd be talking about his past and his life and his family. And the family was really important to, to Roddy. He was yeah. a family man and, um, just a wonderful guy. And, and even he, he left such a big impression on me in terms of how to treat the fans you know mm -hmm. he he talk about you know he's i go to a show and, and these people that are here for me and and i don't care if the lines around the building i don't care if you know we're closing down soon or whatever he's like i'm we're gonna go elsewhere everybody meet me over here i'm gonna make sure everybody that came to see me sees me today you know and awesome, and man. he'd always spend time with people in the line he wouldn't rush anybody and um and he's like because if it wasn't for these people i wouldn't have anything that i have you know so it's important for me to take this time to give back to them and um anyone I ever that that's ever met roddy I've, I've only heard the best from from them about that experience and i could tell you he it meant a lot to him to have these people that that were there to support him and his career and and i'll never forget that and i always try to remember that too with with what i do in regards to respecting the fans and being thankful that they're there. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, you think it's common right? sense and 
it was a bit prophetic because I had that conversation with him. I'd say sometime around 2014, early 2015, yeah, because uh, he passed away in July of 2015. Right, yeah. And um, and just a couple of years after that, there's there's this big hullabaloo all over the place. That if if you're a fan out there and you ever express a dissenting opinion about anything, all of a sudden you know you're the worst being that ever existed, and it's it's such a shame. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but. Yes. But I, I, I'm glad that I got the ability to get to know Roddy and, and become fast friends with him. And, and it was unfortunate because he was in my neck of the woods um, a couple months before he had passed. I believe April. He was at a show. And he's like, hey, I'm going to be by you in April. Do you think you could come by and, you know, be at the show? And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so busy right now with everything. And I'm like, you know, when's the next time you think you'll be here? And he's like, oh, probably in the fall or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, let's connect around that. And he's like, okay, yeah, you got it, man. Love you, brother. Right. And I had that text message. And, and then he passed away in July. And I was just crushed. Uh, you're such a good dude. And um, it was whatever happens with that movie like that was that was worth it to get to know one of my childhood heroes sure. and um and it, it, they say you know never meet your heroes or anything like that but yeah. apparently whoever said that never met roddy piper because yeah <laughs> um he he's everything you could have thought of and more he was just wonderful just a great yeah. dude Nah, i mean obviously i never got a chance to meet him but certainly growing up watching the old wwf and man I mean, I think he was a fan favorite. And I actually listened to uh, an interview from Ronda Rousey and how she went to him and asked if it was okay if she utilized, you know, some of the things that he did in wrestling when she came in because she's also known as Rowdy uh, Ronda, right? And she talks about how amazing he was to talk to before he passed and just what an honor it was to work with him and to get his blessing. So, yeah, you're not the only one that has said that. So I, you're starting to see trends. You start to think, well, this guy was really genuinely a great yeah, person. Yeah, he was I a great guy. Memory of him and, and stuff like that. But um, so happy for you that you were able to build that kind of relationship with him before he passed. And oh, yeah. The big hole in the wrestling in the world. It was it was it was great. And it was just awesome to be able to become even the the level of friendship that we had and i regret never being able to to meet him or anything like that but we had a bunch of phone calls and, and texts and whatnot and it was always great and and like i said a lot of it he starts off with it being business and then it just it always turned into just yeah. talking about whatever with roddy it was it was always awesome <laughs> that's so cool man oh man that is awesome so you know as far as alterna now i mean pete what do you think the future is for alterna where do you think uh what do you think's next? I mean, I feel like you've created a lot of success. You got a lot of really good things going. You have some amazing um, brands right now, like you said, Red Koi, Unit Forty Four, which is hilarious. Um, you go on and on, man. There's a lot of really good stuff. What else is going on? I mean, honestly, at this point in time, mm -hmm. well, we've shut down submissions, and the reason okay. I've done that is is a couple of years back, I thought I would have to do it, and and. And the reason why is because of the fact that I saw that more and more people entering comics were, were yeah. like me. Yeah. Um, they were entrepreneurial. They were people who didn't need a publisher. Yeah. I'm the last person that's going to say you need a publisher to make your comic. Sure. sure. Um, you know, could a good publisher help you out? Sure. Are there a lot of bad publishers in the business, even at the indie level? Yes. Um, but if you're someone who you're willing to put in the time, the effort, the work, the passion is there, the drive is there. Uh, your skill set is there. You're willing to build that up. There's no reason you can't do exactly what I'm doing or more. 
Mm -hmm. um, it, many people have, which is wonderful to see. But I figured that that's what was going to start happening because that's kind of the way the industry was going. Mm -hmm. um, overall, there's been a reduction of middlemen across the board. The same way that we reduced our usage of middlemen, um, yeah. I'm, I was predicting that's the way things are going to go for a lot of people, too. It's yeah. not something personal. It's not like, oh, I don't want to be published with Pete because of X, Y, or Z. It was more just because it's just you just don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. um, they could go straight to crowdfunding. They could set up their own website, all the similar things that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so I figure, well, that's still that that's great for them but it doesn't help me out necessarily so what could i do so i figured i'm gonna have to probably start making my own series again so really get in that frame of mind it's a whole different frame of mind than publishing yeah. and then i'm gonna focus more on the books that we have especially the ones that are going to be ongoing mm -hmm. so that's kind of what we're doing is, is i'm focusing more on that the only kind of submissions that are still open at Alterna would be for it came out on a Wednesday, which is an anthology. Okay. Uh, so just for short stories. Yeah. Uh, but series submissions, I've tried doing that. Last year was the first year I didn't accept any submissions. I found that there's um, all the all the really talented, skilled creators. Like I said, they're kind of carving their own path. They don't necessarily need to submit to a publisher like me. Yeah. Um, and all the others that are out there are really rushing to yeah. get their comics made to the point that they're not taking the time to learn how to make comics for the most part. Um, so they're, they're at a stage where they're not ready yet for a publisher. And if anything, going through a publisher would just not only make the experience worse for them, I yeah. think it'll also be a deterrent to them because sure. they, they'd get exposed too quickly to the business side of things, which is very much you have to perform. And if you don't perform, um, that's it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so if your book isn't of quality, because I also don't want to turn people see the Alterna logo and they go, oh, they published anything that comes to yeah, them. Yeah, you yeah. know, I can't trust it, you know. But meanwhile, like you said, there's so much good stuff. Yeah. And the reason for that is because I've been very selective over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, so if I find that the selection process isn't being generally great, to a lot of the newcomers coming on board, mm -hmm. um, it's best for me to just say, you know what, we're going to just lean back a bit, focus on what we have. Yeah. And, and the other creators out there are either going to do their own thing or they're going to learn as much as they can. They're going to do what they got to do. Uh, yeah. But but right now we're just going to focus on the lineup that we have. And I want to focus on, on getting more King Cryptid issues out as well. That series is very important to me. Yeah. Um, getting in that creative mindset all over again like i said it's a different thing than publishing yeah. and uh I, i've got so many stories for king cryptid so <laughs> uh, i'm i'm gonna do reader willing i'm gonna make this series for the rest of my life i have that many stories to tell so awesome. if we're putting out five or so issues every year mm -hmm. uh, we'll see how it goes because maybe they'll hit a point where i'm putting out eight to ten issues a year you know yeah. and do two campaigns a year and get things really full steam ahead um but yeah, I'm, I'm mostly just focusing on the issues and the, the titles we already have and, and my own series, of course. Is there like a, a number of titles that you think is a sweet spot for Alterna or not necessarily? Um, I think I think we're at a good place right now. I think we've got about, if I have to guess off the top of my head, I think we've got about seven. Okay. Yeah. Um, seven's a good number. Mm -hmm. uh, I like the number seven. Yeah, I was born good. in July, so seven's yeah. good. Um, but other than that, I mean, it, to me, it's it's whatever works for what the publisher can do. I, I think at one point in time, we were publishing about 15 to 18 titles at the same time. Um, and not every month, 
yeah. they would alternate here and there and some would be on a quarterly some would be bi-monthly some would be just you know uh whatever for three or four issues and that would be that yeah. uh but for us i think being kind of sleek and more uh, able to focus on what we've got is mm-hmm. a better path moving forward than um some publishers in the industry uh, you really do get the sense that they don't publish everything that comes through to them but they publish anything that looks decent enough yeah yeah. you know and i just i can't get behind that yeah, you know yeah. I, I have to make sure that i actually care about and like the yeah, stories yeah. that i'm public not just the aspect of i guess someone will like it right yeah, yeah. um you know it, it feels disingenuous to say yeah you should go buy this when it's like do i turn around and go well yeah i wouldn't buy it but you should go buy it <laughs> you know so anything that we publish at Alterna, i've always made sure to go would i buy this and i say yes i would and that's a deciding factor and then i go okay well then this is what determines whether or not i would publish it mm-hmm. um sometimes though there's things that have come through that i would buy it but at the end of the day i don't think that i necessarily am the best person to put this book out i think if it went to a different publisher that maybe could help it out in a certain way i think they'd be better off there mm-hmm. uh, and i would communicate that to the creator mm-hmm. uh, but yeah the way we're at alterna right now i think is great and and um if if we unfortunately have to cut any of the titles i mean it happens it is what it is but um, i love all the ones here i don't want to see any of them go so hopefully we manage to publish all of them for as long as they want to continue to make issues of course yeah that's awesome and then as far as how often one of your um, creators needs to produce you said quarterly um is that for most like for uh, unit 44 koi it seems like they're coming out either twice a year or four times a year. Does that sound right or am I wrong? Yeah, that's about right. Um, Yeah, right now we have, we're scaling back to three alternate campaigns a year and then the King Cryptid campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll see how that plays out this year because every single year is a a learning experience, you know, and then make any adjustments for next year. Um, If this works out, great. We'll do it the same way next year. If not, we'll kind of retool things for that. Uh, but yeah, it's about right. Two to two to four, I guess you could say at this point, two to three times. Sometimes there's issues that are in a different position. Um, yeah. Wes likes to get a head start on Unit 44 issues, so he always has like two or three issues done in advance, yeah. um, which works in case we don't have someone else that was managed to get their stuff done. And then Brian with Wolf and Batsy, he he's in a very different position where he's mostly remastering a lot of the older issues that he did with a couple new issues here and there that'll be sprinkled throughout um so he really is in a position to have a leg up on everybody else Um, that's why like on this campaign that we have right now he's got issues eight and nine Mm. um because he's able to to get that done because the large part of the work for those issues is done um But that's another surprising thing uh, is that there's people discovering that for the first time. And Wolf and Batsy has largely been out for about almost 20 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know it until I got uh, it in your packet of your number yeah, one. So. Yeah. And I'd seen it around here and there. But, um, you know, when I was talking to him, I, I thought, well, there's going to be a lot of people that most likely have not read your book. Uh, and, and I knew that firsthand from publishing the chair as a graphic novel and then re-releasing it as a single issue. Um, it was, it was surprising. I figured that was going to be one of our worst selling single issues because everyone already had the graphic novel. Why would they buy this? You know, I even made it a dollar for the first printing just to 
make up for the fact that, yeah, I know this has been out four other times as a graphic novel already. Um, but people were still picking it up and discovering yeah. it for the very first time. So I said, if that's going to happen for mine, it's going to happen for yours. Yeah. And um, sure enough, it did. And it became a fast favorite here at Alterna among a lot of the readers. That's awesome, man. What a rewarding feeling, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it is a different reader, right? Like, I have some graphic novels for sure, but I, I mostly have floppies. That's what I enjoy. Um, I, I love holding it in my hand. I love being able to read it in like 20 minutes or so, 15 minutes, depending on how many pages. And then, like you had mentioned at the very beginning of the interview, you're able to create this, uh, this desire to kind of guess what's going to happen next when you're able to put it in 24, 28 pages. Whereas if yeah. you have a novel, right, you said you get through the whole thing and you're done. And you're like, I want more. Well, it's going to be a while before you get more. If you Yeah, get yeah. yeah. And, and, and I find a lot of the things, too, with um, in terms of creating, mm -hmm. uh, creators should look at the graphic novel as a film mm. and the single issue as an episode of a TV show. Okay, yeah. You know, if you look at it like that, it's a lot easier to wrap your mind around how you would tell that story. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because if you treat it like a episodic kind of thing where you're where you're only giving snippets here or there and whatever, it might feel a bit, I don't know, a bit bare in terms of the graphic novel. You know, um, the, the pacing doesn't necessarily need to be slower. Mm -hmm. But you do need to develop certain aspects of it more, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, but on, on a single issue, every page, every panel counts. So you got to really make them count and you have to maximize that. I feel like as the industry went more towards writing for the trade mm -hmm. and making graphic novels, we lost a lot of that. A lot of that condensed, compressed storytelling. Yeah, yeah, and it turned into this drawn out type of thing. Mm -hmm. And what happened was then eventually it wasn't like uh, each issue in like some six to 12 issue miniseries or something was really jam packed with awesome stuff. If it, yeah. it was more like, no, let's let's take something that I was telling in like two issues and let's really stretch that out, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like they're not really writing. Yeah. Uh, let's say it's a monthly book and let's say it's 12 a year they're not really writing 12 stories and right, right, right. they're writing maybe one or two right, and they're right, stretching right. them out, you know? Exactly. And what happens is you're not paying like four or five dollars in an issue for yeah. a singular story. You're paying like 20 to 30 for a yeah. singular story, you know? Exactly. And yeah, so it's, it's five to even figure out what's going on in this. Comic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, but, but back when, when I got into comics and, and every single thing I ever loved too about episodic storytelling in animated shows like mm -hmm. batman the animated series is oh, like the the pinnacle of that for me you know really great um x-men was great spider-man in the 90s was great uh and then even shows in the 80s you get thundercats even oh, he-man and shows like that gi joe uh, transformers you know all these great episodic stories mm -hmm. where they packed in like every single moment mattered you know there wasn't just like lounging around it wasn't just like characters thinking and in moments yeah. and then just things like getting you know slow pace and everything was just like you know over and over <laughs> and just yeah you were just absorbed into it it, it grabbed your attention and, and that's the beauty of single issue storytelling and episodic storytelling if you kind of get away from that mm -hmm. it just feels like you know you're losing that that that, that punch that each issue can pack mm -hmm. and then with that you can actually have this organic world building occur mm -hmm. 
where you don't have to have an event because mm. every issue is an event, right? You know? And then every issue you tell some other snippet and moment of this character's life and what characters they're meeting at that moment and where they are at that time. And then before you know it, you're 20, 30 issues in and you have a universe that you've just created, yeah. you know, whereas the other way around, it's like, you're kind of just drawing everything out and it's really just everything's kind of like a character piece and and it, it just turns into by the time you get to like issue eight out of the 12 issue mini you either know where this is going yeah or you don't care yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know so so you'll see it around there's so many of them especially when they get to like these 10 to 12. um you see them by around that time the three-quarter mark in the story you see that they don't really know what they're doing anymore, you know? And by the time it wraps up, it's a very, cause I said so, Yeah. you yeah. know? And, and it's like, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> it's like a real rushed ending. And you're like, what the heck? You could have <laughs> dropped that out and made it more interesting instead of having these three issues that mean zero. Exactly. Or when they're uh, talking about this kind of uh, story that's going to occur and it's going to change everything, you know, it's changed the status quo for forever. Yeah. And, uh, and like, maybe it does. Yeah. But not it's not for forever. You know, right. it's going to go right back. And then nowadays when you have the 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 companies that make films and things like that, you'll find that it's going to go back or it's going to change right around the time of a film. You know, yeah. so now they're being used essentially as like marketing yeah. to drive the larger thing. Almost which like is such a, right? Just yeah. yeah. Which is such a shame because comics are a wonderful medium and they shouldn't be treated as like, you know, the you know, and I don't want to offend anybody with this, but this is a phrasing from back in the day. They shouldn't be treated like the redheaded stepchild yeah, yeah. of movies. It you is. know, they should be treated as the bona fide thing that they are, which is a beautiful medium. And, and it's, it's very capable of telling these important, impactful stories that have influenced the ability to create billion dollar movies. Not they shouldn't play second fiddle to that type of a thing. Um, and it's a shame to see that a lot of it sometimes is treated that way, but not in the indie realm, which is great so far. Uh, maybe yeah, one so day cool. we'll I'm get to that to point. Creep in though, Pete. I don't know if you see it in the indie scene where you have people come in and they're writers, and the purpose of writing the comic book is to be able to create that medium that leads into a movie. Yes. So the goal yeah. is movie, and my comic book is going to help me get there. And uh, I also think that takes away from you know, comic books, I think as well. I don't know if you feel the same way. Like the I've, I've gotten submissions like that. I'm yeah. sorry. I've gotten submissions like that. Oh, okay. Um, where they'll lead with, they have plans to develop this and get it produced. And I'm like, I don't care about that. Yeah. You know, I want to hear about, you're going to make the best comic possible for the readers out there that are going to read the comic. Yep. Worry about that other stuff later, you yeah. know, and, and especially as someone who's, who's made a film, I got to tell you, um, more people have read and loved the comic than have seen and loved the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not like you just get a movie going and then that's it. You know, the skies have opened and pennies from heaven are dropping down. <laughs> you know, it's this is it's still it, like let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. And um, but yeah, I've seen a lot of people that want to use that as like a foot in the door into Hollywood or whatever it may be, and um, and then treat the comic as. Uh, a storyboard already made for for a producer and i don't want people making comics for the producer i want you making comics for the reader yeah yeah not such a good point pete such a good point man 
we covered a lot, my friend. Yes, we did. You said yeah. a half hour, and I was like, we're not going a half hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to talk for way more than that. <laughs> I mean, we can go as long as you want, man. But uh, no, this, is, this is good. This is good. No, I can't uh, thank you enough, Pete, for coming on, man. I, You know, anytime you don't know someone, they're like, hey, come to my show. You're like, ah, at least I would be. I'm like, oh, let me look at your show first. But uh, I really appreciate it, man. We, we just want to get to know you. Um, you have a, a very successful brand. You have some amazing stories that are being told. And uh, like I said, I've interviewed a few of the writers that are already for Alterna. And I'm like, man, let's see if we could just get Pete on and, and ask him his opinion on how the industry is and how he got into it. Because I, I think it's a story that it sounds like it's been told a lot of times. Um, and uh, I've certainly listened to you, I think, on John's long box, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, yeah. John's great. There. Yeah. Great guy. And um, I actually listened to the one where you talked about some of the submissions and a little bit of the frustration around all the submissions and whatnot. And um I, I think those are really good to listen to if you're creating a comic book because there's some really good advice there um but i also wanted just to get to know you and and, and my fan base to get to know you too because i if you're not buying an alternative you're making a mistake man it's a it's a great indie brand and a lot of really good stuff to read thank you man yeah there's there's a ton of great creators here a lot of really fun stories these are full-on escapist stories with heart Absolutely. just classic storytelling and then they're they look like classic comics. They're on newsprint and everything too. Um, My favorite but, part about it too, man. And not yeah. only they look that way, they have that more modern stories to it that you could relate to and that you could get lost in, but it has that old school feel to it. And, uh, and I mean, I buy a lot of comics, Pete, a lot of comics. And to find a comic for $1.50 or even $2.99 is impossible um, anymore. I think when I saw Mark Miller came out with a comic book and he was charging $1.99, I almost fell out of my chair. I'll turn yeah. to the only one that has those price points. What are you doing, right. man? <laughs> so, yeah, and, and I'm not going to fault him necessarily for it, but uh, the rest of the comic news media, they, yeah. you know, they want to pretend alternative doesn't exist. Oh, uh, they exist. <laughs> they exist. And I was like, mm, yeah. mm, mm, mm. Yeah. all right, all right. <laughs> No, I really appreciate Pete coming on and uh, thank you for your time. And, you know, anybody who's listening, man, if you haven't been to alternacomics.com, you better get on that and then watch on Indiegogo. It sounds like uh, about three times a year you could get caught up on a lot of really good uh, comics um, by supporting the Alterna Comics Indiegogo. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we got a campaign right now that's on both Indiegogo and our website, alternacomics.com slash pre-order would be the easiest way to go right to it. But you could go to alternacomics.com, you'll find it right there. And then it's also on Indiegogo. We got five new comics on there. You get five new comics in 2023 yeah. for $12. Yeah, you can't beat it, man. It's just incredible. Uh, I tell alone, people that, and they're like, 12 each? I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> All together, $12. Yeah. That alone makes me a fan. And then to know it's great quality, too, on top of it. I mean, it's just incredible, bro. Oh, yeah, yeah. These And like I said, these stories, it's the equivalent of getting in on the ground floor of when Stan and Jack or, or Stan and Steve were starting out telling their stories. You know, the little indie company that could over there at Marvel in the 60s. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's like getting on the ground floor of that because you're getting it directly from the creator. No matter what creator you love nowadays, mm -hmm. I'd say about 90 to 95% of them 
we're not the people who created those characters yeah you know so you're you're really supporting the cover band and they're yeah. playing a good cover sometimes and sometimes the cover is not so good but uh <laughs> you know that's what you're really kind of supporting when you're supporting the mainstream corporate comics uh, but when you're getting on the ground floor at anything at alterna or any of the indies out there being made by these creators that have come up and envisioned these characters you're supporting the people directly who have had a big part if not a, a the part in creating these things and that's kind of cool it is and i'll be honest though a lot of uh these uh creators that i've reached out to are just down to earth and they're really good people and they like you said they have an amazing story to be told and uh they're accessible man it's it's awesome and I, I love it i love the medium india is where it's at i think right now obviously you see behind me i love the big two too and um, I, I probably always will, but I think India is where it's currently at right now because oh, those yeah. stories can be told and you don't have 90 years or 80 years of canon that you have to kind of hold to. And that's how we get a King Cryptid or a Red Koi or a Unit 44. You don't get those if you're in the big two because where do you fit it? Yeah. I, if you look at comics, every 30 years, some some kind of creative explosion occurs. Yeah. You know, So 30 years ago, we had Image. 30 years before that, you had the 60s with Stan and Jack and Marvel. Yeah. 30 years before that, you have Superman and Batman coming on the scene. Um, you know, so we're in that again. We're in that cycle of a creative explosion, this new generation of creators across the board. And who's to say 30, 60 years from now or whatever, uh, we don't see a cameo from, from Peter Samedi in a King Cryptid movie or whatever it may be. Um, you know, so it's one of those things of uh, you, you just never know. And, and, and not to say that I'm pushing for a movie. I'm absolutely not. Uh, I've done movies. I'm, done I'm all set. I'm all set. Yeah, comics is it for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. animated series would be kind of cool. That but, would be really cool. Yeah, but comics—that's uh, where my heart is, and that's where my passion is. But um, it, that's what I'm talking about. Is it was all these great creators, all these great characters that are being made, and there's yeah. so much potential right now. So if there's anybody out there looking for something new, something exciting, uh, don't don't waste your time on the mainstream because that's fleeting. Even yeah. when they create something that seems like it's new, mm -hmm. it's it's very fleeting because eventually they're going to go back to old faithful and come yeah. back to that classic character that makes the money and that's that um but if you're looking for something new and exciting and something that's right at the cutting edge a lot of the time you're going to find that with indie comics across the board agree agree well pete appreciate you coming on my friend thank you for your time and uh man hope we could do this again sometime absolutely man it was great thank you so much and you did an awesome job live show everything you know hey daryl uh hey logan what's up creators outlet <laughs> you guys too thank i know you what i want to comments coming in i'm like oh god thank you it worked man i, I didn't screw this up <laughs> i appreciate it. i'll do some more lives because of you pete i love it man awesome yeah it's it's awesome it's fun it's it the more you do it the more you get people in the chat that are engaging and then they'll throw questions too and you know yeah. they get involved it's wonderful yeah, agree with you. Agree with you. Awesome, Pete. Well, have a great one. Thanks, everyone, for joining. And uh, until next time, you know, join us, man. World at War Comics and Alterna Comics, man. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, guys. Talk soon.